accommodating Utah's massive growth with Utah infrastructure for roads and all the legal work that needs to happen before that happens. Hello, I'm Richard Pine, and welcome to Legally Speaking. Joining me today is Mark Burns. He's the Division Director for our Highways and Utilities Division. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. Hey, good morning. Glad to be here. Do you think people realize the legality that's involved in paving, maintaining, and uh, planning out roads? Um, I think there's a lot more involved than than people appreciate. UDOT has a large operation that goes into acquiring uh, property for public highways and maintaining them, which is uh, a quite a complex system. So when we talk about creating a new road, for example, the roads out in the western part of Salt Lake County, Mountain View Corridor, Bangor Highway, all those improvements out there, how much work is that legally to make sure that we can, we can widen, that we can create bridges to eliminate uh, inter- intersections that may cause problems, that kind of thing? Is there is there more to it that meets the eye, would you say? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, for a new highway, you're talking about acquiring thousands of miles or at least hundreds of miles of property sometimes. You think about, for example, the Legacy Highway or the Southern Parkway in southern Utah. And uh, UDOT does its uh, best to try to avoid impacts on businesses and, uh, and homes. Um, so a lot of those new alignments try to go through what's either farmland or, or formerly vacant property. And UDOT will work directly with the property owners and acquire 95% of what they need through negotiation. My group is the group that's responsible for acquiring the other 5% through court activity. And that's called eminent domain. Let me ask you a couple questions about eminent domain because I find that to be pretty interesting. If you have someone that lives on a family farm out in Harriman, for example, and that family farm happens to be smack dab in the middle of a plan to create a four-lane highway, what are the rights of the property owner? Can Can the state just swoop in and say, Sorry, you're in the way. You got to get out of here, or is it a little bit more complicated than that? Well, in, in that situation, we would call that a total take or a total acquisition, and the property owner actually has certain um, entitlements, both under state and federal law, to relocate them to a new location that would be decent, safe, and sanitary. The state does a relocation study, determines whether there's properties that are of similar characteristics that the property owner can be relocated to, and if there's, um, let's just say that they are renting an apartment building and the whole apartment building has to be relocated, but rents are higher in other areas, then there uh, are procedures that allow um, that displaced person to get a supplemental payment for the higher rent in the new location. And as far as the your example of a family farm, the state has a responsibility to appraise the property, give the property owner the opportunity to be with the appraiser when they're determining what the value of the property is, and the um, and the owner has a right to get a second appraisal uh, for free from the state through the private property ombudsman. And that process is very successful in terms of reaching a solution that both parties find acceptable. UDOT will settle nine. 95% of those cases, and my group gets that 5% of cases that can't be resolved through negotiation. If, a, if the family farm owner has their own lawyer, can that slow the process down? Do they, do they come back with a 
some kind of lawsuit, cease and desist, any kind of chance to, to intervene in the project. So normally what happens is none of these cases are a surprise for the property owner. There's a usually extensive period of public comment. The property owners know when there's going to be a project that's going to affect their property. And during this period of negotiation, UDOT will let them know that they have the opportunity to go to mediation to try to work it out informally before any litigation is filed. And if uh, those efforts are unsuccessful, then the state would initiate the, the court case and name the property owner and anybody else that claims an interest in the property. When we talk about you know, the growth in northern Utah, but there's a massive growth in southern Utah too. Is this especially an issue in Washington County, uh, the St. George area, Cedar City, as the area continues to boom? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, my our day-to-day work really just uh, follows wherever UDOT's big projects are. So when they were reconfiguring, uh, reconstructing I-15 in preparation for the 2002 Olympics, most of our work was here in the Salt Lake area. Now all the growth is in southern Utah and the western part of Salt Lake County and kind of the southern portion of Mountain View Corridor and then going north to Davis County and even farther. So our lawyers are appearing in courts all around the state. At the moment, southern Utah is uh, quite busy with highway construction and acquisition. Uh, The southern parkway that wraps around Sand Hollow Reservoir down near the St. George Airport was a major new highway to get people from the St. George area to Zion National Park and areas surrounding. It's a big project and we have a couple court cases there involving thousands of acres of property, mostly vacant farm property right now. Okay, so but the, the people are contesting the, yes. the eminent domain? Yes, that's okay, right. So there's cases in, there, there's cases happening right now. That's right, that's right. How do we prepare for those? Like what, what, is the, what, what, are, the, what, what are the states rights compared to the uh, property owner's rights? Is it usually over the value of the property or is it the fact that it's happening at all? So both can happen in any given case. The property owner can challenge whether the project is necessary, uh, is necessary for public use. Generally speaking, those challenges are unsuccessful because of the extensive planning that goes into place and selecting a location for a highway, especially with environmental work and environmental studies that require you look at alternatives. So the property owner can challenge for necessity, but generally speaking, the dispute is over what the state's going to be paying for the property and the state will uh, offer the appraised amount. Let's just say that the property being acquired is worth in true dollars, a million dollars. In the state's appraisal, let's say the state's appraisal is a million, then property owner can say, accept that or I think that's low. And very more often than not, a property owner believes their property is worth more than what the state's offering them, either due to lack of knowledge or maybe just lack of trust of, of government. And um, our system basically allows that property owner to, at the beginning of a condemnation case, receive that million dollars before the litigation gets underway under uh, state law. And then they can prove to a fact finder, a judge or jury that their property is worth more. And that's generally the the type of work that we do. And it wouldn't be unusual if the state appraised property at a million dollars that the property owner would claim it's worth three million. Uh, And juries sometimes will find a place in the middle. And that's our process. I like to say that we're just trying to make sure that we pay the property owner every penny that they're entitled to. And if our value is lower than what they're entitled to, then, then um, our job is to make sure that they get paid full compensation. It's, it's kind of interesting because I was driving along I-80 not too long ago, and I noticed some of the side streets and some of the uh, streets that were running underneath the highway. You know, you know, I was going across a bridge, and I thought, you know, there used to be a neighborhood in this area of I-80. I wonder what it looked like. 
So this process has gone on for a while, this eminent domain procedure. Has it changed over the years? Is it is it easier for the state now? Or how do we go about making changes to, is there a way to make it easier in the state or to defend the property owner's rights more? Has that changed? Yeah. You know? um, it's a really good question. I think if anything, the legislature and even the Supreme Court, both state and federal, have increased protections for property owners to make sure that they aren't surprised that there's going to be a court case that's filed. There's a requirement to give written notice in a particular form to a property owner before property is condemned. There's this process I mentioned earlier about getting a, a second appraisal from the, from the private property ombudsman uh, with using an appraisal, an appraiser of their of their choosing. So uh, it's, it's definitely changed over the years. We haven't had very many highway projects that were, I would say, is uh, politically challenging as they have been in the past. If you think about, for example, Interstate 215 that wraps around the Salt Lake County area, where a huge portion of that went up through the East Bench area up toward the Cottonwood Canyons. And there, were, I understand this is before my time, but there were a lot of uh, a lot of homes in that area prior. We haven't had a highway project like that that kind of went through the middle. I think probably the closest would be maybe some of the widening recently of I-15 in Midvale. There were some homes along that. Also, Bangor Highway had some homes along there. But generally speaking, something like a big one like, say, Mountain View Corridor is going to be going mostly through farmland or vacant land. And that's by design. They're trying to minimize the impact to the community and um, and still serve the public interest and transportation. I kind of noticed in Utah, my perception is, and you can we can probably debate this, but my perception is that the transportation infrastructure going north and south in general in the state is really solid and moves really well. But transportation infrastructure going east and west seems to have a little bit of a problem. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely... 90th south, for example, becomes... Becomes kind of a nightmare. I don't really see any way of fixing that without tearing down somebody's property. Uh, without yeah. tearing out somebody's property. Is that part of the problem there? It, yeah, it, it's a, a good example would be 3500 South, for example. If, if you drive down that road going westbound, you'll see there's you know, not a lot of grass, not a lot of frontage or park strip anymore because that road's been widened so many times. And some of that's a function of uh, local government planning and where they're promoting growth trying to meet the needs of basically where the valley's growing and our valley has has grown a lot more on the west side and people need to make those those routes uh, my daughter had soccer in a soccer club in Harriman and so I was one of the coaches and transporting my my girl back and forth I realized it's a lot harder to get east west in the valley and UDOT's been working on that uh, an example of a project to serve that need would be uh, Pioneer Crossing north of Utah Lake was a major east west connector and uh, I'd say 114 south was another one where they were trying to improve the east west connections it's been definitely something that UDOT has been trying to pay attention to and, and improve. So another uh, another north-south corridor, as long as we're kind of on that topic, going down to St. George, I've noticed that it used to seem like you could just fly through there and there wasn't that much traffic. Now there's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of trucks. You can't just set your cruise control and space out. You got to pay attention. You know, even if you're you know if you're feeling like you're in the middle of nowhere, so to speak. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, in order to widen I-15 in those more rural areas. Would that be a relatively simple project? It would just be a matter of paying for it? Or would that require a, a complex network of eminent domain work and, uh, and engineering work as well? 
Um, I, I think that there's some there's quite a bit of geographic complexity as you go south. It's not just all flat. I mean, you definitely have some elevation changes in some areas, but it, it really, you know, it just although the state has the power of eminent domain, you know, widening I-15 is going to have its its challenges both geographically and with some of the amount of property that would have to be acquired. The governor recently proposed a statewide trail network and indicated that he didn't have any desire to use eminent domain to make those connections. I'm interested, as a cyclist, I'm interested in in seeing something like that happen. But I also realize that there's some property owners who just won't want to voluntarily sell. So I have in my mind this kind of zigzaggy path from the north part of the state to the south part of the state that actually might be pretty interesting to ride on your bike, but it's not going to be a direct route. There's a lot that people don't uh, realize about this. How would you grade Utah's transportation infrastructure when it comes to other states? Well, my most recent experience is uh, driving north to Boise. My son uh, lived there for a little while, and the the difference when you cross the state line on both the the road construction and the maintenance, but even some of the design uh, of the highways is so different. It's just, you can see that, that Utah has put a lot of investment in its infrastructure, and as compared to our neighboring states, it's just much more modern. I, I don't like to make comparisons of better or not, but you don't see the, the cloverleaf style interchanges here anymore. We have different interchanges that are designed to take a little more capacity, and you still see a lot of those older designs in Wyoming and Idaho and Colorado is a little more updated but anyway it's it, we're definitely proud of the of the system that UDOT has created and and a lot of it they've done with lawyer assistance but for the most part this is UDOT just planning good projects and implementing good projects well before the concrete or the asphalt gets laid down the legal groundwork must be made. <laughs> That's right. Mark That's right. Burns, thanks for joining us, the Division Director for Highways and Utilities. I'm Richard Pye for Legally Speaking. We'll talk to you next time.